All right, hey everybody. We're here to talk today about black sheep and we're gonna try and demystify some of the concepts surrounding black sheep. Uh, so just a full disclosure first off, uh, I am a shareholder in black sheep. Um, just wanted to get that out there and make things uh, super duper clear. Um, it's been about a year since I first found out about the idea of um, you know restoring degraded land and uh, I've, you know, since learned a ton about the topic, basically starting from knowing, you know, virtually nothing to now, you know, having read a bit, a bit about it. And of course, I've talked to Josh uh, quite a bit about it. Um, but specifically today, we wanted to, you know, go into some of these ideas and just try and pull back the curtain on things and not make them seem so mystical. Um, Josh and I are both not very mystical people. We're pretty... Uh, nuts and bolts science kind of people. And um, we just want to make it clear that we're not, uh, Black Sheep is not a uh, selling um, magic wands and wizard capes and <laughs> and uh, fairy dust and all that kind of stuff. That And we're magically going to bring back uh, degraded cattle land. Um, it's, uh, it's, so the, you know, there's this kind of distinction between agroforestry and uh, as a, you know, whether that's permaculture and, um, you know, uh, agroforestry, forestry, which is what ultimately, you know, what we're doing is a USDA verified thing. So it's not a bunch of hippies uh, scraping around somewhere trying to mystically bring back things that is a recognized uh, practice of, of agriculture. So um, I've got some quotes here from uh, Mark Shepard's Restoration Agriculture which is a, um, a book that I, I've not read all of, but I've read, um, you know, some, some of the more uh, immediately interesting chapters to a, a lay person like myself that really kind of hone in on how uh, restoration agriculture um, can be profitable in the, uh, in the long term um, and also how, uh, you know, even monoculture, um, agri big agribusiness farming right now is not really enough to sustain um, most people. So um, it really gets into you know a lot of the economics behind agriculture, and um, there's no there's no woo woo stuff in it. There's no mysticism. Um, you know, Mark Shepard is a uh, he's a farmer first and foremost, and he's got a real farm uh, out in uh, in Wisconsin that you know he's taken from a that was you know very very degraded I think 20, 25 years ago, and is now um, you know, a, a pretty thriving farm. So um, there are real world examples of what uh, black sheep is trying to do. It's not um, there's it's not hocus pocus. So anyway, without uh, further ado, um, you know, Josh, you've been talking to people about this for quite a quite a while now. Um, what would you say is if you, there was one biggest mi misunderstanding kind of about what um, what we're trying to do, what would you, what would you say that is? Well, first and foremost, I think most people don't much understand how degraded most of the forest lands are in the world. So it tends to be an education to start with. So coming to Verde, you get to see it on the way in, uh, that there's a, that there's a real problem. Uh, I think a lot of us think of the little protected areas we've been to as, that's kind of how nature is. You know, when you go to the Redwoods or you go to the Yosemite or you go to the Monte Verde here in Costa Rica, 
but most of our country has been cut down. So a lot of people don't really understand that 90 to 95 percent of the forests around us are gone, whether in the States or in Costa Rica. So getting people to even care about that is number one. But once, once I'm there, uh, I think a lot of people don't think long term enough. Uh, we we, we kind of do at work. We put things into 401ks. We trust Social Security will be there, hopefully, when we're at right age for it. But other than that, we tend to be pretty short term about investment thinking. And you know, a lot of people get into the idea of day trading. And just, you know, we think we're going to strike it big with some stock or secret or something. But with what we're doing, <clears throat> forestry things, these are longer term investments. So I think a lot of people have had a challenge around that. But that that tends to be easily overcome too when we when we do sit down and discuss things and and figure out that we are thinking long term with parts of our lives and our income and most of us if we have a, a job will be putting some part of that into into some retirement plan so i've been tying together these ideas of forestry and agroforestry with with long term uh, long term thought processes and uh, and trying to connect that to how our financial lives are and can be. So what I learned here at Verde was that getting involved in the restorative agriculture uh, brought me into agroforestry quickly, learning how hard it is to actually get anything done in this world of farming uh, without petroleum or petroleum products being involved in every stage or fertilizers and other things again made from petroleum. When you go organic, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a whole new level uh, of of engagement. You have to be much more in the fields with your bodies rather than just using the, the petroleum reserves that are, have been stored in the earth for so long. This, this, this ancient sunlight that's being released in mass to grow corn somewhere else. I have to do that with my own body or with my, my friends and family's bodies. We use our energy to help grow the plants <clears throat> in current sunlight. And in doing that against a very unfair uh, set of competitors uh, with the big agribusiness in conjunction with the way we use petroleum and seize petroleum from around the world, it, it's really heavily subsidized, the big markets are. So a tomato from a place that uses a Monsa farm that uses Monsanto products and uses very little labor and has huge tractors and does, does all these things that maybe most permaculturists wouldn't think they'd want to do. Uh, we, we find we have to replace all that labor with actual people that want to earn a living and stuff. So. So I think there's a really there's an unfairness to it right now that's hard to avoid when we're playing in the in the current market system, trying to sell our products in the market, or we're having to really really underprice our own labor. So uh, I've had to really study what it means to grow things in this world and what's valuable enough to even put energy into, and and that led me to agroforestry, wanting to put in less energy than I get back, and that's that's a good investment strategy. Put in less than you get back, you know. So I, I think it's, uh, it's all led me to this agribusiness, agrofor or agroforestry and polycultures and, and really learning uh, which things suit me best from a region that help the world the most and require the least input. Um, so that, that's been something that's interesting, getting people to think through that long-term relationship between uh, whether it's food production or production of building materials or whatever thing a farm is focusing on. So, so just to spell that out a little bit, because it took me a while to understand this as, I, I think, as um, obvious as it becomes after you spend some time um, on these things. So we're, we're talking about perennial tree crops. So yes. the idea, the idea um, is that you, you plant the tree, you know, really once every 
what third depends on the tree but it's you know it's not every year versus the dominant paradigm of farming is annual monoculture so you, you plant your corn you know in the spring you harvest it in the fall and you, you know you, you put in all the, the fossil fuel fertilizers you put in all the energy to drive the tractor to harvest it and then you do it all over again every year it's a, it's a cycle yeah. agroforestry you plant the trees once so it's just the input of getting it in the ground that one time and then you know of course some some inputs to get it going but it's that's why it ends up you um you know being profitable is you save the input costs in the long term and you can also um and mark shepherd gets into this in the book stack things on the land so that uh you know you're getting more calories per acre um then you acre is cubicle not just square right well we think of it as just square because all everyone just pictures you know the gigantic corn rows in iowa and you think well you can only get what you can fit squeeze together on the ground but trees elevate that and you can plant stuff under the tree and there's shaded crops and all this stuff and it's um you know i i'm i still have a an elementary at best understanding of it but uh, it's, it, it does make, you know, geometric, um, sense, uh, what, when you, when you break it down, I think we're just, uh, most people are used to thinking of farming in this one way because it has been, um, so, so dominant and yes, it does. The thing is that it does take, uh, Mark Shepard's very honest about this. It, you know, you're going to need, he's needed off farm income yeah. to sustain himself while all this stuff gets going, it's, it just does not, this is not the kind of sexy overnight idea where we wake up tomorrow and we're, uh, we're billionaires cause we thought up the new Facebook or something. Oh. That's, uh, it's not what we're doing, but, um, yeah, but, um, thinking about it in terms of a long term um, real estate investment, Mark has this, uh, pretty, uh, uh surprising quote to, to me. Uh, He says, if a farmer happened to buy farmland at the beginning of the 1970s, big agriculture boom and sold it in 2009, the farmer's real estate investment would have gained 882 percent in value. Farming is financially rewarding long term if you can keep paying the short term bills. Right. So uh, that's that's a big, big number to me. But, um, you know, if we if you were to take. Black Sheep's case, you take land right now that's really not producing much of anything. Yeah, destroyed cattle land. Destroyed cattle land. It's kind of just sitting there. Um, and if you, you know, that he's looking at about 30, 30 years there, even a little bit more. Yeah. If we ter- turned that into, a, you know, a, a, an enormous food forest with, with all these um, outputs and, of course, just a beautiful space piece of land that people would pay top dollar to stay at, you can see how that, um, it, be, it becomes more clear uh, how this could be profitable. Yeah, again, we think we think long term and we I think a lot of people just think about a corn farm as, as a corn producer, but there's all these other things. You said stacking functions, that's, I see that every day here working out better and better as we mature on Verdenergia. We have jackfruit falling out of the trees on top of cacao and so yeah, you have a, you have a very valuable piece of real estate when it's all said and done. If if those uh, if those things matter, if your region's gonna gonna survive anyway, because what we're doing is in the, on the kind of on the front line of these destroyed 
rainforest areas down here is we're trying to make sure there's any forest at all <clears throat> in our case. So there's a big demand for people to come and see and experience and touch the forest. So we already enjoy uh, amount of business and from tourism, from people that want to come and see what's happening, not just with our farm, but get to experience the endangered wildlife that already exists here again. So it's not just a 30-year real estate plan. After just five to 10 years, we were, uh, we had, our valley had matured enough and the trees had grown enough that we had wildlife coming back and now people come to stare at birds and uh, so yeah, you, you already see that. <laughs> yeah, you already see that they happening just stare over there. the birds all day. <laughs> you know, I actually do. I do it too. Else. I didn't think I would uh, ever be into that myself, but I, f I find birds fascinating now that now that they're here again. Um, and in our valley, 20 years ago, there was uh, was completely destroyed and cut down. And between the efforts of the locals, uh, a few government organizations, and then people like us that have moved in here or bought land here, it's changed a lot. <clears throat> so I see that happening already. I see people buying shares of the farms that we've owned for 10 years and enjoying the, the increased beauty and living just all around uh, living conditions because it's now not a cattle field. It's a beautiful shaded fruit falling off the trees everywhere. So it already works out for us even in 10 years on the real estate level. And as you progress there and start thinking about these other things like what, what building materials can happen with bamboo or with, with trees, not every tree we plant or that we're, that we're uh, helping along is something that we're just going to have fruit off of or just forests from. There's a lot of pioneer species that we plant that really grow quickly here and help the soil rebuild and help bring back shade and water. And then as, as, as 20 years go by, the plans with those, and it's already working, we're already in part of this stage because we've been here 10 years and we already have trees that are developed to the 20 and 30 year mark on our farm. And now we get building materials off our own land that are very, very valuable. A world where trees are disappearing at a fast rate, like a couple football fields a second. Uh, having an asset like that mixed in on a, on a place that, uh, that either you're living at or that's just a piece of uh, reforestation land. As a pioneer species, it, it offers all sorts of, of financial benefits. So. A lot of farms right up the road do, uh, do tree farming, and they just do 100% one tree monoculture like teak or melina or different kinds of cedar. And then after 30 years, they cut it all down and they have a, a deforested piece of land again. And they make a million dollars an acre. And so there's really a model that already shows what we're doing works. It's just we're doing it with much more care. And maybe you spread that acre over... Uh, you know, make one acre productive out of a hundred or something, and over a, over a few years, when you get hundreds and hundreds of acres, you have millions and millions of dollars of productive acres mixed throughout that, of of uh, long term building materials, not just not just farming tomatoes. Like we we need to, we also farm cotton for for clothes in the world. We farming isn't just about the food at Walmart um, or the food in a processed can. Farming is about uh, pretty much everything that grows that we need to use. So I, I see uh, energy. Energy comes from our farms in the form of biofuels or, um, you know, biodigesters making methane. Or, so uh, you have to get much more comprehensive about it. And I think we tend to think of farming when we get into it or when we see people getting into it as the one or two or three products they specialize in. But uh, good farmers for hundreds of generations didn't just worry about their tomato crops. They had trees growing in the background that were gonna be the house for their grandkids. That's, that's how you did it until very recently. 
So I think we're just hybridizing this a bit, I'm not inventing the wheel at all, reinventing the wheel at all. We are trying to do it on the front lines in places like Costa Rica, and it's a fun place to do it, and it's attractive to have space. So a lot of our investors and friends get to come and enjoy the rainforest and see macaws and uh, sloths and monkeys or whatever when they're here. So they, that's, that's great. But what we're doing down here is really kind of frontline uh, battle against the palm industry and the cattle industry. So we're, we're not just doing this just to have productive farms. We're also doing it to be a, a protector of, of the, the natural world because down here it's, it's in real trouble. We've cut 90, 95% of Costa Rica has been deforested of its original forests. It's now 27% in protection, but that's, that's, that's fresh, that's new, that's just starting to happen. And it's working, but, but we need to come up with more ways that aren't just governments protecting land. I, I really, I really like our ideas and how we've been doing this because it's a bottom-up approach. We're not waiting for politics. We're not waiting for governments and, and rich people or philanthropists to come out, come out and just do all this for us. This can be done in small business mentality with small groups of people that own things together. And so we've, we've done it in a collective way. We have 100 owners in three of our farms here, between three of our farms and many of them cross over in ownership and many don't. Some people will never come here. They're just going to own the piece of land and benefit from all the, the profits over the years in, in, uh, in different ways, not, not, not seeing the monkeys and stuff. So I'm, uh, I'm, I've been excited that we've made this work so far. We've got three farms under our belt and we're, st we're, we're still growing. Now we're getting into a production uh, the production time in our, co our collectives and we're having to buy equipment now to deal with all this stuff we're producing. That's a new problem. It's a good problem. Uh, <laughs> our, our area was very depressed financially where we moved. We moved out here on the front line again of like the poverty uh, of the farm world and the suicide. A lot of people around me have killed themselves in the last 10 years. Farmers who can't make it work. So we have to get real solutions to the, the farming issues. I'm, I, I like the idea of coming back to the compo. Not everybody should but people that want to be out in the, in the country. Um, we can come out here and, and make a stand and, and create an economy again that didn't exist or that was slipping um, by hyper-competing with slaves in far-off lands and petroleum products. We, we forced the local farmers into servitude, into slave. It's a pretty much like being a slave to, to own a farm if, if you're sustaining, a sustaining farmer. So most, I think 85% of organic farms in the world have income coming off some other source. Yeah. It's a lot, and, it, and it's, yeah. it's necessary because we're subsidizing well, our farm. According to my understanding from what I read in Shepard's book, it's even the uh, conventional farms are still making the majority of their income not on the Schedule F yeah. on, uh, from the IRS, yeah. it's like from other stuff. Food's so. way underpriced, and we haven't identified it as valuable. And I don't no. know, it's really, and the price of petroleum and how we get petroleum and all of it's not factored in. No. So, <laughs> so when we're... <laughs> When we're uh, carrying a bag of homemade soil up the side of a cliff to feed a tree instead of just spraying a little bit of petroleum on it, um, you can really feel the difference. Like you can feel where the energy comes from. It comes from your back and your legs. And then you have to think s smarter. When, when, you do, when you have to do the math on your own, when you're not getting subsidy, you actually have to make it work. And that's what I love about small business approach. That's what I love about small collectives, not being too big. Um, at Black Sheep, we've been trying to put a, you know, 20 to 30 person collectives together so it doesn't get, doesn't get crazy, <clears throat> uh, crazy out of control big. Like we're, we're coming into production now on these Sachi Inchi nuts. I got to figure out how to process 2,000 pounds of nuts on this farm in a few months. 
and turmeric and other, other products that grow really fast underneath these trees. So we're, we're, uh, we're seeing a lot of this stuff produced now and it wasn't really rocket science. It was just combining different approaches and integrating you know, the best practices we could come up with in 10 years in our region. And a lot of people already have the practice in their regions. I moved halfway around the world, so I had to learn a whole new practice and rhythm. But if I was in Oregon right now, I'd, I know which things work pretty well around there, tap into the, the more indigenous techniques and stuff there and use permaculture in that way. And there's other things, and it may be a bit different time frame, but pine trees grow too, and eventually they're worth something. And thinking and factoring that in to your, uh, your farm, uh, your farm's financial plan and financial future is a, good, is a good idea. It'll help it make sense long term. If you're trying to produce the, the tomato to compete with Walmarts, I don't even know how people do that anymore. I don't think they do. I think we're almost all gone. There's like 1% farmers in America. It's Yeah, yeah. I know it's definitely it's getting shrinking and shrinking. It's machines from, from space, uh, GPS tractors that do most of the work now across the big industries, right. the, the big eight food groups that right. people eat, eight, and, eight and just to, vegetables we eat. I think just to make a distinction, uh, you know, um, what, what Black Sheep is doing and permaculture is not opposed to technology no. out of hand. Um, it's more, particularly the, you know, petroleum intensive technologies behind it. You know, if we, if it, if it makes sense for us to do a high tech GPS map of oh, a property, we do that. We do that too. we're on board. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I think there can be a conflation that, that happens that leads you to think that it's a, uh, a regressive movement that, you know, doesn't. Uh, yeah. It's really just trying to do the math. And if, and if, right. if someday the third world decides not to let us take everything we want from them, our, our first world cultures, not to let, not to take oil for so cheap and, or, and, or if one day we decide there's going to be some kind of climate justice, these systems are going to have to justify their existence. And, and then the math's not going to work for them. It only works for them right now because they're not paying their full bill. Exxon only stays operating because it's not paying the full bill. It's not remedi It's not fixing what it's destroyed and it's not taking into account its future, our, all our future. So <clears throat> organic farming is, is in a struggle right now to like, we're in a struggle to control the story too. We have to, we have to help control the myth that's being spun, right. that they're the efficient ones. They're not the right. efficient ones. We're actually in, in small agriculture, small organic farming, we're figuring out where real efficiencies are. This is where innovation is taking place. When you can just lean on high, on high tech, and I'm not saying high tech isn't good in some spaces, but when you can lean on high tech or high energy intensive stuff, like. Well, high tech could mean lower energy. Like, way, yeah, that'd be way great, right? Right, right. Like so. high tech should be, those fields are mixed cropped and they don't require tractors and people get back in the fields and help pick, which creates a, a whole nother connection with food and the economy. And if we put the money that's going into the war machine, into the farming industry directly, maybe you could pay people living wages for picking strawberries. So. You know, we're so out of whack on this, and we don't factor in the, the aircraft carriers that are, that are bombing Yemen into <clears throat> the price of tomatoes. But we should, and I do. So I have to, like, do an extra step. I have to go the extra mile because I, I factor that in my math. Because I, I want to know what happens if the world has justice one day. Well, we're going to be a lot closer to what needs to be done with agroforestry than you are with monoculture corn. And <clears throat> not that corn doesn't have a place, but... We produce so much of it already, like the stuff that they're so proud of creating efficiently, half of it's thrown away, like half. So I, 
it's such it's they waste so much of it anyway that we don't need to produce as much as they pretend we do i think it might even be less about um i mean i agree there's a perception that it's more efficient because it's like this very kind of rigid aligned system so it's quantifiable it seems very organized and just sort of yes but but columns missing on the form columns missing on the form um but but also i i think um um I think this is maybe an obvious, this would be an obvious distinction to you, but for, for people that don't, you know, haven't spent as much time on this, the, um, you know, conventional farming, the whole point, every decision that's made is about maximizing yield like that year. Yeah. That, like that's really what the, how the decisions are made. So if that is the, the, the goal, then it, then what they're, that's what, what they're that gives it logic what they're yeah. doing but that's but when you do organic restoration agriculture the actual care for the land and the long-term health of the land and the soil is is also a consideration so it's it's really a totally different um goal so it's like some you know it, one team is playing basketball the other's playing golf yeah, yeah. and it's like well of course they're going to play the game differently they're playing a different game yeah. Well, and then they, I, I, at our small farms, we tend to do things with like the justice in mind too. So we go the extra mile, like don't rent the tractor, do it by hand, like ten, tends to turn us into like really disadvantaged because we also think about justice, not just, not just the math. I mean, like, it, it would make sense to, to the bigger industries long term if they were human. They're not though, they're Monsanto, they're corporations, they're algorithms, and you serve the algorithm you work for or you get fired. And so, like, the, it's really hard to change the, the, the Monsantos of the world, and I don't know that we're ever going to change them. But, um, but that's the way they're going to see those fields. And, they're not, and they see other fields next door they can move into once these are depleted or once these are filled with chemicals or whatever. So um, our, our, political, our lack of, like, political control over our common land and water streams and all this stuff has turned into uh, a really skewed way of looking at it all. And it's a real bummer, man. <laughs> it's a real bummer that... That the people that are thinking about it have such a disadvantage in the business end, because we're playing, you know, you know, miniature golf and they're playing monster truck rally, and it's 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 a different That's game. That's a better way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Like we're, we're, but but it's not that we're wrong. It's that we're just it's timing. It's timing. In the future, what we're doing is going to be looked at as, oh yeah, duh. Like that's that's the natural system that helps feed itself, and you're using nature tech, not just high tech, and you're using local tech and. There's all these other technologies tied into what we do here that I didn't understand until I saw one tree above another one sharing sunlight and chemicals through the mushrooms and like all these little cool things that actually should excite like the, the high-tech efficient minds. And it is. And there's a lot of innovation taking place on, in the farming world where it always has actually. It's where most, like at our most innovative times, it's been when we had to figure things out on our little food producing spot. But <clears throat> in tying that into the market and like the way everything's so insecure. Now, now there are many things that have happened in, in history, though. We used to have, you know, feast and famine. You'd do great, and then you wouldn't, and then you'd die. <laughs> Your area might die because the weather's bad. So, they, you know, these big agricultural systems keep that balance somehow. They, keep, they seem to. But at the same time, the, 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 the byproducts of the nastiness of their business is killing people in mass, too. So, Really, I think, I think the do-no-harm model is good. The regenerative model is needed right now so bad. And what, the type of thing I'm talking about isn't like we don't need to go cut down new land and do whatever, cut down new forests to use this new soil again. There are ways 
profitable ways to reintroduce, regenerate uh, sacrificed zones of the world. Uh, it, it works. I've, I've done it myself. I moved into a place that pretty much felt like a clay parking lot on a 60 degree angle. <laughs> and, uh, and with 10 years of work with a bunch of friends, very little capital, very little capital at any one point, maybe help from a lot of people who came here and cared and wanted to make it better. Uh, we've turned a couple hundred acres around. So, you know, billions of people putting in a little bit of effort can turn billions of acres around. Right, right, in, right now, too, not, not, not 30 years. Like, in a few years, the area we're sitting right now was, was grass. This part of the farm was grass until three years ago. And now, now you have fruit falling off the trees. So right. it depends where you're at in the world, but it's, the, it's not as far off as you'd think. Now, profitability in the tomato versus tomato game, that, that's something you've got to think through. I read a great book called The $64 Tomato. I forgot who wrote it. You should read it. Um, like a, a home gardener's quest for the perfect tomato and like nearly going insane or something like that. <laughs> it's really finding out, finding out you spent $64 on that tomato. Like that's, that's, a, that's rough. So yeah, that's not going to work. No, no, or a pound, you know. Like, so we, but, but we're learning and we're bending. We're trying to evolve this stuff too. So I give myself space in this experiment because I know we have enough solid long-term investments mixed in it biodiversification, not just financial diversification. So I've biodiversified so that I can play and practice and figure out what else might work. And the, the, we haven't had, we don't really have the same earth we had 10,000 years ago. It's changed. We're in the Anthropocene stage. Yeah, we're, we're like now in the age of man. We've changed the earth geologically even. Like we're, we're making earthquakes now with oh, our fracking yeah. like we're, we're we're degrading and eroding the soil so much that things are changing the coasts are changing like we're changing the height of the depth of the ocean um so i think we have to look at this world like bill mckibben talks about in his book earth with like two a's in it like it's not the same earth as it used to be so we have to come up with new solutions and it, it's not going to all be high tech it's going to be it's going to be a big mix and I'm not, I'm not opposed to governments taking a big shot at, like we talk a lot about geoengineering. I think this is geoengineering on a local level. We're going we're gonna to take shots at this as we realize how far down the rabbit hole we've gone right. when the oceans are acid and the glaciers are all gone. Like that's happening, man. And we're going to have all jellyfish in the ocean and we're going to have to try and remediate that quickly. Right. And, and although we're not going to wait for government incentives... We, we Costa Rica does actually have incentives in place. Yeah, they do here, and for forestry and stuff. But we're going to have a major offensive one day if we want to have oceans. One day, your kids are going to have a major fight on their hands. It's going to be like a war against the ocean dying. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and we can yeah. see that now. We can see that. Yeah. And I, like it's happening. Right. I, I think there's this balance here that's difficult to strike between yeah. um, setting... I guess maybe some would call modest expectations with also, you know, you want to get people excited about it and also make it feel urgent because like, yes, yeah. the glaciers are melting now. Yes, the oceans are dying now, but plant trees now, plant trees now. Yeah. But, you know, OK, so let me just I, I, I think, uh, you know, Mark Shepard does a pretty good job of balancing it. He, you know, he yeah. says we might not get as far as we want in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. The process of building successful businesses based around restoration agriculture farms may take quite some time to achieve. It's underway in fits and starts in several places across the country and outside of the country and is growing stronger with each day. 
Like the ecological systems that these restoration agricultural farms are modeled after, they typically start thin and slowly build depth and complexity. Um, you know, he also goes on to say, we cannot, sit we cannot sit around and wait until the aggregating and processing infrastructure is in place, though. Trees take time to grow. Yeah. Ecological systems take time to mature. It takes years and in some cases may take several generations in order for certain pest and disease cycles to fall into a reasonable equilibrium. The time to plant these systems is now so that there will so that we will actually have the crops needed to feed a rapidly expanding population, yeah. which hopefully doesn't expand that much. But yeah. that's a different story. But but, you know, I think that's a that's a, a, a nice way of balancing the urgency against the reality of, um, you know, dealing with with these things. It's human nature to want things instantly. I always want. You know, I want my peanut butter and my sugar now because I'm this is my craving is now. But, um, you know, you have to dig the well before you need it. That's true. If you're thirsty, it's too late. So, yeah. like, we, we have to act like it matters for our own families and our own crew. Like, we need to because it's, it's, getting, it's getting there. And it's already, you're already so much unhealthy food that why not plan a future that gives you healthy organic food, even if it doesn't change the whole world. But that, that's why I came up with... That's uh, why we, we, we forged, how we forged the idea of black sheep was how do you make something duplicatable so that it can make a difference? Not, not us being the biggest, baddest thing in the world, but showing people and giving people little models and little designs that help them imagine a different world too. Because uh, we're, we're all just telling a big story too and we're telling a story to our kids. When I tell my kid the story you know, that I, we're going to be around and you're going to be able to have a child yourself and there's going to be clean water to drink. And I don't see how most people can say that to their kids right now in the cities of the world and stuff. They, they just say, I hope somebody makes it work out. Like, I, like I'm not going to tell my kid that. I'm going to tell my kid I tried like hell to make sure you had clean water and stuff. And, and, I, and, and if that means, again, you're doing great charity work, maybe you're call centers for the right politician, all sorts of ways you can do this. But uh, I think <clears throat> there, there's, there are people like us out there. We're, we're doing these things. And we're, we're trying to make sure we all know there are ambassadors and people that will do this, will, will dedicate their lives to these things and fight it on the front line. So um, Black Sheep exists for the people that want to fight it on the front line a bit. At the same time, balancing smart, small projects, things that, that, that excite them, individual ideas. I could have someone here right now that totally loves forests and they're all about these trees and they can see the 25-year plan in their brain. The next person sees the turmeric growing under that tree and thinks, I make medicine and that's the thing I really care about and that's in, that's in one year. And somebody else sees it and says, oh man, I, I could see this bringing birds back. And so like, I, I think there's so many angles for this that we got to stop thinking about it as farming. Uh, you know, an agriculture like that, that's all very businessy, like you said, that exists to maximize profit in one way or two ways. Like, I'm, I'm looking at profits in a big, comprehensive way, a way that thinks about quality of life and quality of uh, people's, like what other people's dreams are, what they think profit is. Sometimes somebody wants to just be an artist. Well, you offer the space, the materials, we grow the materials and the wood that you'll need one day to make your picture frames. And so it's a real economy. It's just thought about differently, and it's more dynamic. And we're just mixing different things together. That's why I did this, is so that we could think about the big things and work towards those, the things that seem a bit impossible. But smart farming policy, smart forestry, means less chemicals pour into a river 300 miles upstream from the ocean. Those chemicals don't 
accumulate and become more and more concentrated and go into the bay of the ocean and destroy the, the life there. So these things, these forestry policies directly tie to the ocean temperature even. If there's no trees over top of these creeks, they get warm, they flow into the ocean 10 degrees warmer as rivers. So you can actually directly see how you profit each day. The creek's a little cooler now than it was last year. It was a lot cooler than it was 10 years ago. The river's cooler. Like those things are, are you can see how it makes a difference. It's, it's weird how small things add up. Now I, I think I say small things, we have hundreds of acres, that doesn't sound small to most people. But there's hundreds of us and we have hundreds of acres collectively. And our little hundreds of acres now puts a big fat plus into its river instead of a minus. So I, I, making, making that available to people in the open source world that I like to see and imagine as the future is, uh, is what Black Sheep's mission is. Right. No, and uh, it's, it's hard to underestimate the um, impact that, that agriculture has on a lot of these things. You know, it, uh, I grew up in a, a suburb and, you know, you got your food from the grocery store and farms were kind of this. We had we did have one farm in our town, but it was sort of like almost like sort of a joke or something. It was like farmer, you know, that oh, good old like farmer Fred just out there like. But, but, you know, it's like the more you learn about agriculture, it's like it has an enormous impact. And, um, Way more than cars. Well, right, right. But then when you get into agroforestry and everything, it, you know, we, you do need educated people to manage these things. We, are, we aren't saying that you can kind of like roll out of bed and like not really know anything. No, we and need just, great experts and scientists no, and right, kids right. that went to Yale and Harvard. Exactly. So, um you know, but uh, but th you know that's just been a, a really you know really interesting learning process for me that that that's um, well you know we just thought of we thought of farms as this thing where it's a it's a row of, of a vegetable and you harvest the vegetable and then you send out the tractor and you know the tractor needs a factory to be built it does. the shovel does the marketing it, of the it thing fall from the, sky. No, the, 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 the the tomatoes are turned into ketchup that got on your burger at the quick little stop you want to make on the way home. So like, yeah, it's really, we haven't been taught that. And they, I think we kind of try in some places to really still expose our kids to it. But the, move, the moving serious. away from farms, it didn't take that many generations. It, yeah. We were on farms not long ago. It was like 100 years ago. Most people got most of their food locally. And when you went to someone's house 100 years ago, they had like something from China. Let's see it. Like, this is new. Like the other, like we, we used to know. Even if we weren't hyper engaged in it, we knew. Right. And, and so we totally don't even know anymore. I talked to kids that thought carrots came in bags, like, like pre-cut carrots, you know, like, it's really funny, but it's not funny. It's funny, not funny. It's funny, not funny. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, it's just not something that I think is held out as a, uh, you know, I think there's a resurgence coming now, but it's not held out as a prestigious um, job to have. I mean, I don't think we have lots of you know, third graders who are like, I, I want to be Michael Jordan. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a farmer. Yeah. I, you know, I think that's shifting a little bit maybe, but I, 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 when I was going through school, it's definitely not, not a lot of reality TV shows about farmers right now. No, I can't really think of any. No. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's obvious that our health has slipped. We're, we're way crazy sick compared to what we used to be. Uh, with lots of human-caused diseases. The, the ones that used to get us aren't the ones that get us anymore. We get ourselves, and diet's a huge part of that, and uh, generations are waking up because they're not healthy from what's happened to them and the food system. Um, 
it's becoming where I where I spent my last many years in the states. It was it was prestigious to be a good farmer, but that's because places like Portland, Oregon have tried, Seattle, Washington, parts yeah. of California. There's been some success. So now now it's and chefs are like elevated to stardom on TV. You know, like chefs. So like we're chefs starting to see what good food means and like people that talk about it with passion and where they get their ingredients. Like farmers markets are are pumping community supported yeah, agriculture. It's moving. it's moving, but it's still only like one two percent of the market even cares about organic and. <clears throat> but that's that's going to reach critical mass as people really start to see food as medicine again instead of instead of you know thinking of health as something separate from their diets and I I, I think we've uh, we've we've got a, a ways to go but a lot of people care and if you move to the right spot maybe you just need to move to the right spot in the country and you you can see those things it may not be a great idea to be a organic farmer in the middle of Iowa right now, I don't know. But it, if you're near New York City, people are going to love that you have the organic strawberries at the right time of year um, and that you make the homemade jellies and that you make, you know, preserves and things like this. Is, it's, in my circles, that's been, that's been a really popular thing in the last 20 years. Um, it wasn't in the circles I grew up as a kid, although I, when I, in, in the 70s, I grew up in the late 70s and the 80s, um, we, we still canned all our own salsas and froze all our own corn. We weren't farmers in any way. We just had a quarter acre next to us that we did enough to have most of the veggies frozen in the freezer that we needed for the, the winter. All the salsa, we give it away to people. They loved it. They wanted it for Christmas every year. Now, it's not that old a culture even in my, in my part of the world, in Southern Oregon. It, was, it wasn't weird 20 years ago to can a lot as a family. Yeah. So it's so like we we really we think the world is really stagnant, but it's it's not. It's changed a lot real quick, real quickly, and uh, I mean the internet's only been around for twenty something years, and I, it feels like it's been forever. But we used to buy things locally. Everything you used to buy, you know, like it's really it's really a new phenomenon not to buy anything locally. So I, I think we we may be setting the bar like it's some new thing we're going to get to. It's actually something we did really recently. Just to shift from what we are in recently, yeah. Well, doing. marketing is it works on us. We see things; it works its way into our head, and we pick the thing that we're familiar with. Um, we're just not we're just not familiar again with the most of our local farms. But but I grew up near Ashland, Oregon, Eugene, Oregon. They are, they are, they're doing it. There's places where they're doing it, and the people are much healthier for it. They're connected to their farmers. They think differently about the what what it means to buy food. Um, it's not just what's the best price. It's like it's it's fact factored into that food is it's the justice that came along in the supply chain, the lack of or the justice that you do have because you buy it locally and you don't use fertilizers from home place with war. Like all these things, my friends have been considering for so long that I th I see it as normal now, um, and the market's reflecting it slowly but surely. The Walmart's getting into organic for a reason. Costco has organic for a reason. They 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 see the writing on the wall. Um, and soon enough, we're actually just going to just have, whether the consumers are educated or not, we're going to start having some kind of justice uh, about the unsustainable practices of big farming. And then the prices will change so much so quickly that people will buy organic because it will seem, it will, it will be cheaper. Um, or, yeah, 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 one, it should cost a lot more for something that has a ton of petroleum sitting behind it. Um, but it doesn't right now. So. As, as things change, as we take over politically, as people like us, and we organize in our, in our groups, because you don't have to change everyone in the world to, to believe like you do, but if you get a critical mass of a couple percent of a population, you can have a big political influence. Um, it only takes a few percent of, of any population to make a big political influence. influence. 
and food production is a way to do that. I, I see food production as a part of the renaissance and the revolution in our political lives too. <clears throat> I'd like to see way more of the food waste go into the stream that is like the, the, the building of uh, worker collectives and unions and stuff that could be financed and with the waste that's already falling out of our, of our uh, terribly inefficient farming methods and distribution methods. Distribution may even be worse than the methods of farming. How much rots in one place while people are hungry somewhere else. Like, we're, we're going we're gonna to come to terms with this soon, I hope. Um, I, I push every day to bring people's awareness to this so they can make better decisions. And it seems like people do once they understand. I don't think most people have any clue about what's going on at their dump. They should check it out. Yeah, no, it's 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 staggering when you uh, when you start to see it. You know, I started with Michael Pollan like years ago, and uh, yeah, no, he he's great. And then you know, I, I, now in recent years, I've gotten just more up close and and personal with stuff, and um, that's made it you know a lot more real. I mean, I'm a you know I, I'm an avid reader and really value reading and researching, and you know this stuff did get more real for me as I started to read about it in other places um so it's not just like oh like josh has gone crazy in the jungle and like he thinks there's but like i was in the garbage business for a long time right no the, right but but uh no it's just you know it gives it that kind of uh, yeah. what i would call like an external validation that um you know is is out there and uh you can you can definitely find it if you if you look for it right under the surface just like behind the the grocery store it's there it's just it's uh, it's amazing how we can call something efficient when it's so wasteful and then call the efficient people kind of crazy. The people who are trying to make little farms work and have like different stages of pears in their yard and like guys like Steven in Portland like trying to pull off this really beautiful little thing in the middle of a city that throws away tons of food every day. Um, we're not the crazy ones, the ones trying to figure it out and we're actually scientifically trying to design something that works. Um, <clears throat> I think it's... Uh, it's interesting to be thought of as, as, as a little kooky because you want clean water. I've found this over the years. People like think you're, I'm extreme. And I really think extreme is, is popping open something that came from halfway around the world, taking a swig of it and thinking, oh, that's not even fresh enough and just throwing it away. There's a ton of it. That's extreme. Oh, I, as, I get, it, oh. as you get into line with the reality of, the, of what's going on in the world, I think, I think simple things look more and more extreme. And these are really simple things we're talking about. We're talking about where we get our water and our building materials and our, how we organize our communities, how we eat. Um, it's not as complicated as the way that things are working now. This is really a hole we yeah. we're in. I, I mean, I think things now just appear so slick and easy that it's hard to feel in the immediate that there's anything. Um, it's, it's so well hidden, all this stuff, all the negative aspects of it. Um, so you have a health problem because of the food, or well, sure, sure, but I, but I, but I mean the experience in just this, like a nice air conditioned Whole Foods or whatever, yeah. or a Walmart, it, not, nothing feels wrong with it. It yeah. feels kind of nice. It's like for the five percent of the world, it's pretty nice to walk into a Walmart. The other percent of the world is actually in the back room of the Walmart, lifting all that stuff on the really high shelves for us. Yeah, well, the way yeah. back room. Way back room. Yeah, yeah, and they're having buildings collapse on them because they haven't been inspected for 50 years. and So, like, I, it really is a, a perspective problem right now. And lots of the world is just begging for this revolution at the top. They, they're, they've been begging for us. There's so many documentaries that can explain everything we've talked about today. We don't have to reinvent any of these things. Like, you can watch 
a documentary about every single industry we talk about and be like, oh, crap, like, yeah, for sure, we need to do something new. <clears throat> but our, our political establishment doesn't recognize these things as even real right now or a real problem um, or it's somebody else's problem. But, but yeah, I know, when, it's, when you're in your own store and it feels comfy, it's pretty, it feels pretty safe and pretty secure and pretty slick. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just saying the immediate experience. I, I, you know, I'm just saying I think that's why it's hard to believe this, just because it is presented and marketed well. Yeah. You know, not that it is a good thing. Just it's that weird. I was in I was in the back, the backside of like uh, in garbage or recycling for a while. Like I felt like I like fell out of the the. the the cheery view of it, and all I could see was the, the, the garbage. Right. Well, you, once you, you once, a, once I saw it, like I just, when I walk in there, I see packaging everywhere. I see packaging that's immediately going to go into a landfill everywhere, and I see, and I see, and I see the energy behind that that wrapping around that food that could have came from the tree right next door to me. So I don't know what I don't know once you like take the was it the blue pill or the red one? I don't remember, but. It's hard to Why, oh, why? Didn't, didn't I take the blue pill? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Once you see that, it's hard. It's hard to not. I walk into a store and I'm almost, I'm like, I feel like I'm looking around seeing all this plastic and I, people think it's going to be recycled, but it's not. And yeah. So I, I think coming up with solutions for those things on a local level, less than the amount of garbage in my soil and my area. And so that you can take these things and make little solutions that actually matter. Uh, again, place, there's, there's only a, uh, there's places in the country where they're doing it in the U.S. Like my friend does a, a pickup of a restaurant waste and stuff, makes soil out of it in Portland. So just in, in, in little spots, little fits and starts, people are figuring out the value of the garbage. And I'm figuring out the value of sacrificed land bases, places people have walked away from and don't think of as valuable. So identifying the problems and, and, and right. seeing the garbage for the beauty and the energy it's stored there, it is. that it, uh, it's, it's where I've always... But that's why I've been operating from for 25 years, and it's been working for me. And and this this just works for a lot more than me, because before it worked for me, because I could scrape some value out of the garbage, whether it be a car or a, a car body at a wrecking yard that turned into metal, or whether it be plastic from your office that I made money on. Here, I get, I get to see it not so much in money every day, but in in a thousand different profits. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Um, well, I'll 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 read this. One more quote from Mark, just because I, I think it's kind of funny. Um, we can no longer afford to wait for the universities or governments or any other them to get started. We can no longer afford to wait for more research to be conducted or for ultimate varieties to be developed. We can't wait for incentives and cost share programs that may never happen and would blind us with bureaucratic red tape. We can't relinquish the revolutionary power of one and wait for a hoped for perfect organization to form even if it's black sheep. <laughs> we are the ones who must do this, and we must start doing it now. As farmers, homesteaders, or rural landowners, we now are embarked on a journey that will last for the rest of our lifetime. We need to convert our annual crop farms into perennial polyculture ecosystems, one tree at a time, one vine at a time, over and over again for as long as we live. I will give up my tree planting... <laughs> I will give up my tree planting spade only when they pry my cold, dead fingers from the handle. <laughs> the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Put one foot in front of the other and keep on walking. Yeah, that's, that's all you can really do. And when you get a collective big enough and people that do things together, then you go from having a little 
uh, permaculture to having the culture. Like you, you, the mother culture wasn't just born yesterday. It was a bunch of different things making what it is. So I, you, we each start doing this. I mean, the Chinese planted like billions of trees in the last year or something. They decided to make everybody plant trees and there's a billion trees in the ground. <laughs> So like, yeah. we're, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to have the perfect answer before we build. We're going to have to build the perfect answer. The beauty of dictatorships. <laughs> well, it's, and we're going to have a, a bottom-up uh, regime change here because if, as we become aware, it doesn't take everyone planting trees for there to be trees again. No, no, it doesn't. And, and uh, I, I, I'll put my planting spade down when, when it's just so normal to plant trees again that I can go do something else now. Like, I'd like to go bowling tomorrow instead of making trees go in the ground, but somebody else is cutting so many damn trees down, I have to plant trees. So, I mean, like, like I think I'm, I'm just waiting for a critical mass when, when, uh, when we all take a little responsibility for this, it will make a big difference. Uh, I mean, they're not just deciding where to buy one thing or the other. It's going to be being engaged with the things where we're using. Um, I don't just like buying organic food from a farmer. I liked this, the community-supported agriculture thing where I bought a share of that farm and I was a little bit vested in it and I could win or lose with them. That, that felt good. And that's, that's like actually a pretty American thing to do, to think about like owning the business you work for. And, uh, I, I love it. So I, I'm, I'm, I think our revolution doesn't just come in changing where we buy food and hoping gardening works better in the future or that we're going to figure it out better than the next guy. But that but that we all are engaging in it again in some way, in the, in the feeding of ourselves and the clothing and the housing of our future, and our, our kids and our next generations. Like that we should, it feels good to be involved in that process instead of just like hoping someone else is taking care of it. And, I, and trust me, nobody's taking care of it. There's not many people just like taking care of things for all of us. Everybody's pretty much looking out for themselves. I think The Onion had a headline <laughs> like that. It was like, I think it was after Trump won... It was like Trump's election proves there is no like secret society that's like looking out for the good of humanity. Yeah, dude, it's not happening. Yeah, there's no there's no person behind making sure that the fertilizers don't run into the rivers and the ocean there's and there's nobody Yeah. We had a moment of that. We've had moments of glimpses of political change. You know, like the, the FDR moments. But that didn't come from the top down. That came because like FDR went to all the richest people and said you either got to share now a little something or they're going to take everything. Like, 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 like we're coming to a time when if we, we need to demand that our leaders like, listen to us and that they're only going to listen to us when, when they're afraid of us. And we can't make anyone that's feeding us afraid of us. So we got to feed ourselves. Like we have to, and not just not everyone will be a farmer, but I, I, am, I am dedicated to my job in this, in, in uh, creating farms with other people. And then there's farmers that are dedicated to their jobs farming. We have to support them. So I'm, I'm, I'm all about parallel infrastructure. We're building a parallel infrastructure so that we can take over and, and run things in a smarter way. And, with, and if we just want to take over their infrastructure, we're going to find ourselves in the same problems they created. I got to keep the tractors running tomorrow, even though I overthrew the oil regime. Shit, uh, turn the oil thing back on, because I, right. I need it from Syria the same to keep it going. Well. We're going to have, it, it, we're only, only way we're going to actually not act just like them, the them we, you, you quoted <laughs> from Mark there, is, is, is if we create a working system that can replace them. And, that, and that, you don't have to get everyone first. You have to have things that work, it grows, and then people identify it and starts changing. The change that we're creating is beautiful. It's not, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not just drudgery. You're not just uh, digging ditches for the rest of your life. You're watching trees grow. You're watching a community come become green again and pavement disappear and 
um, less cars because people are co-oping those things and that sounds silly but it, that sounded silly years ago but now people uber all the time we're all into the cooperative oh, cars yeah. and uber's got the uh like, they yeah. have it so it lines up you know uh like a ride share with like strangers now so so we're getting there now people are like are using this high-tech apps to like start organizing so that we're super efficient that's so much better than than where we were headed with one person two cars or whatever the hell our motto was yeah, <laughs> so like if, and and if you think that uh, humans are equal and you're not you know racist deep down then you should think Chinese people deserve what you got and if they all had two cars we're all dead yeah. If, they, if, if, if all of India and China has two cars, we're all gone, okay? There's no, there's nothing. It's not going to work. So we have to, we have to think about, like, if it doesn't work for one, should it work for a billion? If it doesn't work for a billion, should it work for one? Like, so I make my one work as good as it can, and then it's worth duplicating uh, <laughs> and teaching my kid how to live that way. And, and uh, not just an ideolo ideological way, but, like, actually trying to, where the, Figuring out how to make real things with those energies and those, the protest we live. I, I, in, the, or in the North, we call them protests. You live a protest life, you're, you know, contrarian, whatever. In Latin America, they, they do manifestations. They don't do protests. So, like, I, I like that a lot more. I, I don't, I'm not protesting anything. I'm manifesting what I want. Well, I, I think in a lot of ways it's, it's a superior form of protest because you are actually doing something to change a system and a paradigm, you know, uh, I'm not that I don't support, um, people that were protesting at Standing Rock, but, you know, you could make an argument that, um, the best thing you could do for something like Standing Rock is to, you know, help create a system that isn't dependent yeah. upon the oil that is going to be, you know, drilled for at Standing Rock. Yeah. Um, so, so, and, and I, I, you know, I tend to, uh, tend to agree with that. So, you know, if we can find alternative energy sources, then, you know, ideally that you wouldn't need to protest at Standing Rock because we wouldn't be getting the oil. And listen, listen to the people that are on the front lines that are telling you, look, I'm staring at what they're doing. Those ambassadors belong there and they're telling you they're drilling under my water and it's leaking right over there and look what's going to happen so that you can make those better decisions. So it's like at a certain point, you don't need more protesters maybe, but you need some. And, and each protester uh, that I've ever known in myself, uh, it was a step for me, like where realizing somebody would shoot me with a rubber bullet for standing there with a peace sign, that was a big moment. Uh, and then I realized, oh, I gotta change the infrastructure so I don't need to be shot at, like you're saying. Right. <clears throat> so it's and not or with this stuff, and let's, uh, Let's listen to the people on the front lines so that we can oh, yeah, yeah. And, and build like not just not just I shop in a better place, but I I am constructing a parallel system that can control this world in a better way. And and that's I, I went when I was buying organic at, at, new, at, at some big store that felt a little better. But then when I got connected to like a farmer's market right to a farm, it felt totally different. It wasn't just buying food. It was like shaking hands with somebody who created that food and. Oh, yeah, and there's no packaging at all, so I didn't have to recycle anything. And all of a sudden, my garbage went to almost nothing in my house. And so all these other problems, these buy problems, became, you know, a thing of the past. I didn't have to figure out how to recycle in my neighborhood. I didn't have plastic bags. Yeah. And so I, I like those approaches. They're better. It's, it's just an and thing, not or. And I think most people in the first world are going to have their moments when they, they might have to stand up for something that seems like it's inevitable if you don't sit in front of it right now. And when they're about to drill under your river, you're like, no, right here, no. 
Like this is where I stand. <laughs> So that, and then maybe nine, nine million more people didn't need to go, but like sending money to legal funds and sending money, like my friends did these things, did fundraisers and sent money up there to help. And like, I think it's all, it's all going to play its part. Well, sure. I, yeah. I'm just saying if you have a you have chestnut oil is powering your car or whatever, then you don't need the oil in the ground. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, that's something. But, but there's also, it, those of us who know that there's still a transitional economy that's going to use oil and I still have to use it and this and that. Oh, of course. When I know that a certain type of oil, like let's say tar sands oil, is way, 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 way worse than these other things that are out there. And since we got so much waste already, that if we just get efficient, we don't need to invest $3.8 billion in a pipeline like that one. That $3.8 billion could be much better served in an alternative energy collective of some sort. So, so I think, I think there's going to be a moments here where some of us are like trying to smack others into sense of like, hey, whoa, 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 we're wasting so much. Like, don't build that right now. Like, wait. Watch what happens if we just like all get more efficient appliances. Like, more efficient appliances across the land would cost, and double pane windows, far less than the next nuclear power plant being built. And, and it would save 10, we could turn off 10 nukes that day if we did it. Like, for real. Just, just washing machines, refrigerators, Laundry machines and and window and glass and insulation in, uh, in attics could like reduce our need for several nukes. <clears throat> we have a hundred of them in the U.S. Uh, one hundred and ten. <laughs> like, yeah, so, it's it's a lot, and it's four hundred and fifty four in the world. And so like the like we we really need to start doing the math on how long term these things are even going to be, how long they're going to work, and then invest smarter. So when someone's at the front line screaming and you see them getting beat up, just like get I get more resolve. I'm like, okay, yeah, 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 L use less relieve the pressure on those people a little bit but all in all build an alternative infrastructure like long term and and, it, and actually and what we've been talking about I, it, 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 it's not just a long term result you actually start getting short term results too you just have to you have to start experiencing it be a part of something and it doesn't mean you have to move to a farm right now we don't all need to do that but I joined, when I joined a farm collective for my food all of a sudden I saw things a little different and then I was hanging around different people that saw things differently. And then, then all of a sudden the world starts to see the way, I start to see the world the way I want and I start to imagine the world the way I want. And then I start acting that way. And it's, it's a process and not a woo-woo way. And like a, you know, I, I used to put cars, pictures of cars on my wall because I wanted to manifest having a sports car and that worked. So now I put pictures of, you know, kids in the living Now I put pictures of Palestinians and Iranians or, and, and uh, Israelis holding hands and hope that happens one day or something. So... Yeah, sports car is probably easier. Yeah, <laughs> it's be <laughs> real. <laughs> but I, I'm I'm doing my vision boarding. It's just bigger than that now, you know, than my own stuff. So that's 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 what I see these things, and then I get to see it every day. Just walking down here again today, I might not go to a spot on our farm in a few months, and then go back and remember that nature, like when you give it a chance, really does have a dynamic. Uh, there's something going on there that we should pay attention to. And <clears throat> so I'm, I, I've been modeling my business mind after that instead of trying to push nature around. Okay, one, one more from, I, I just like this because it uses one of my favorite phrases. The restoration agriculture farmer is practicing agroforestry. We have not gone off the deep end. Yeah. We are mere, merely following good USDA agricultural practices that are the backing of universities and government agencies. So, um, it's, yeah, no, just once again, just reiterating that this is not some far out no. crazy concept. Um, you know, uh, 
everything we're doing is being done diff on its own. It's just integrating those things makes complete sense when you do it right. Yeah, I, th I think it's it's just that it's such a departure from what the dominant thing is that it seems like you've yeah. gone off the deep end. You know, because if if everyone's doing something like anything, yeah. and then you go like into something different, you yeah. seem like the guy that's off the deep oh, end. Oh, I seem crazy because I don't know the name of the newest pop star, and I like that. Like, I'm glad I'm crazy. You've gone off the deep end. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. I, I a lot of the. A lot of the media I've watched recently, has, it really makes me laugh. I'm like, I just watched 12 Monkeys again recently. And I listen to Brad Pitt like crazy characters. Like, what happens if you don't want to buy things that everybody wants to buy? You're crazy. Like, yeah, yeah man, it's weird. If, 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 if you're kind of alone in any thought or in this minority, people think you're nuts. And um, people thought radio waves didn't exist at one point. And they thought some guy was crazy for thinking that. People thought... Microbes. People thought Mike, somebody who thought about germs was crazy. And, you know, now you're crazy if you don't believe in them. Right. Like, these things, it's funny. So, I, I don't, I can't, I think you have to, Chris Hedges talks about the, have to, having to have a sublime, sublime madness to be like a revolutionary with these things these days. You have to, like, believe and see something that kind of doesn't fit for everyone else. Yeah, but but it's good for everyone else, and it's weird when you know when you look at trends and you start and when you start understanding economics, when you start understanding environmental issues and stuff. Uh, there, there's trends, and you can tell what's going to happen. And when and when you choose to look up and and see what what's happening with this, like with the trajectory we're on, and you talk about it, people around you that don't want to look up at that may like they don't they they think you're trying to be magical or something like if, if you can look at a pie you can look at a trend a bell curve and you can you can do these things pretty regularly math works and when you're looking at what's going on with the environment what's going on with the economy debt all these things you're not the crazy one to be paying attention maybe it's just timing it's it's that if you were talking this way in the 60s you'd still be sound you'd be out of breath <laughs> but yeah. if you're talking about it now in the next 10 years debt bubbles are booming and collapsing and like it's timed better, so like you can't always time the revolution. You just get to be a part of life, and and uh, and I think that we have to act like it, it matters because it does. Have that urgency, like it matters, but then have the patience to let it grow, because nature isn't going to respond as fast as we'd like it to. It took a lot of years to get it into such bad shape. It didn't happen overnight. So, but but we're gonna find we're gonna find the benefits along the way of regenerating it. And I, uh, I, I can't, I couldn't look at my daughter one day and say I didn't try. And now I have a little piece of land that says, hey, look, we tried here. This, this works like this. If you don't want it, this exact same thing, fine. Maybe that little piece, you can learn from that. That's why I've been trying to do something that's easily duplicatable by the masses. We didn't ever try and spend millions of dollars on anything because I want anyone from any country to be able to emulate these things. And it's, right. it's pretty simple. That is kind of what uh, makes this a little bit different, though, is, you know, the typical thing with a business is you want to make it so that yeah. only you're, you're the best at providing whatever service or product it is and get rid of everybody else. But I'd love it if there were so many people good at what we do. Right. That there was no need for us and we could, I could go golfing or something. Bowling. Bowling, yeah. And golfing. I'd go golfing if I had the time. <laughs> this isn't... This is not this golfing is, territory here, this though. I feel this like. isn't Vietnam. This is bowling. There are rules. <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's a fun process to learn. And I, I, I wouldn't, no matter what I end up doing in life, 
if I if I end up back in an office in 20 years running a big business in New York, <laughs> uh, getting a firm grasp on what the, the like base infrastructure from soil up and what feeding people means and where water comes from, that's been that's been a really powerful thing for me in like understanding. It's like you got to work on the bottom. You should work in a kitchen once cleaning dishes before you're an executive. You should also at some point try and understand a little bit of how how nature functions and how it responds and and that, I don't know it's very valuable very very valuable to me every part of this not just learning how to grow food but but reconnecting to the foundation of everything which is water and soil and food and air and stuff that you can't go even a few minutes without and we act like it doesn't really matter like only money matters or something yeah and the pa the paper yeah there are externalities or air and Today there was a fog alert. Like people have to stay indoor in China all over today. A massive no, smog, in fact. Now, but today it was extra bad. Like the guy woke up and like you can't see Beijing. Like they are. I bet you most Chinese people would be like, I wish I had a few less dollars in clean air. Like I bet every one of them would say that right now. Yeah, I would. I, I would bet you could go talk to every except the guys that live in the bubble of very rich there. Above, above it all, yeah. like a few of them. The rest of them would say. Jesus Christ, yeah, take like a couple percent if this would be gone tomorrow, I'd right now, I'd do that. Um, and we moved our pollution there. When I was a kid, that's how L.A. was starting to get. So I, uh, it's not that we really cleaned up, it's that we moved our mess over there. Export pollution. Yeah, we exported it. Like half of what they do is for us, you know, the other half's for them. So it's, uh, it's, it is very quantifiable in spots in the world. And maybe just if you look out your window, you see pretty clean air, you don't see the air like you shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it should, oh, it should, okay. should be invisible for the most part. <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah. Unless there's some water in it, which is cool. Yeah, clouds. <laughs> clouds are cool. But, uh, but I, think, I think that people are going to keep recognizing as time goes. More and more people, because many already do, uh, but more and more of the upper crust of the world, the upper class, they're going to they're gonna recognize how it's creeped on them too and how their health has suffered. And everybody would rather have a loved one back than a few bucks and cancer and the way this like these things are coming on strong because of the toxic planet we live on so i want to rebuild the filters i want i'm i'm here not just to not just to eat well but to 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 remediate to take back some of what i did as an american person living in the in the last hundred years like i i uh, i think we all need to plant some fucking trees <laughs> amen yeah. amen so black sheep is in it's uh, first couple years of business, and we've been growing well, and we have some beautiful property here. We've we've helped uh, we've helped fix and or we're in the the beginnings of. And Black Sheep is looking for more partners right now. We want more people to participate. Uh, some physical people. We need to hire some people for things, but we also are looking for investors. So, in the next few months, we're putting the finishing touches on the newest project we had, the Namorado Cacao Collective. And we're looking for some people that want to play there with us. And uh, we're going to keep, keep pioneering and finding farms in our area that need help. And we're working on finding farms in the north. Um, we're looking for projects in Oregon and Michigan right now. So I would love, I'd love people to get in touch with me if they, if they either want to work with us or if they need our help in developing their projects and, and or expanding uh, around their farms or building more uh, buffer zones between the forest and... and, and uh, the cities in their area, you know, like we've been doing here, like trying to stop, stop some destruction before it happens. So, uh, Black Sheep was was born out of a need for 
protecting Verdenergia. Verdenergia was uh, a farm we developed here for 10 years, and the next thing you know, there was going to be palm oil above us, uh, spraying chemicals and ruining our water and getting rid of all of our, our, our beautiful work. <laughs> so Black Sheep was born to protect this farm, and then it, it's growing into protecting other farms. So I'm, I'm really excited to find new partners that want to be a part of this with us and new creative minds that want to come help us grow this. Um, anyone from investors to people that want to come put trees in the ground. Yeah, Joshua at weareblacksheep.org. And uh, our website, uh, weareblacksheep.org, is up and running now. And verderarchia.org uh, shows a, is a long-running uh, website there that shows our progress here in, in regenerating this first piece of land. So I recommend checking that out. And anybody that would ever feel like coming to Costa Rica and helping, we're available down here to teach, learn. Uh, I'm taking a lot of students these days, so I'm, I'm excited to have people come and learn. In February, we have an event called New Seed. It's a, a permaculture experience here in the jungle. It's being done by New Mundo, and that's at newmundo.org. And it's going to be a permaculture immersion, four days on our farm, and then uh, we all pretty much head out to go to the Envision Festival and sell our farm's wares for a few days and enjoy enjoy sharing permaculture with a couple thousand more people. So if you're going to be in Costa Rica this February 2017, uh, feel free to check out our website, check out New Seed and uh, Project Nuevo Mundo.